Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. This is Will Goodwin, co-founder at Crosstown Brewing Company. Just like WYXR, Crosstown Brewing supports Memphis music and our neighbors who use their talents to make it. Our beers can be found at our 3,000 square foot tap room right here at the Crosstown Concourse and at your favorite bars, restaurants, and stores throughout Tennessee, Mississippi, and Eastern Arkansas. Enjoy. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, the Memphis Metropolis host. And my guest this week is Nick Euler, who's the Bikeways and Pedestrian Program Manager in the Engineering Division of the City of Memphis. And Nick was actually, I want to say, Nick, you were one of my first guests, but you were on, you were an early guest um, about a year and a half ago. So welcome back. Thanks, Emily. I'm happy to be back. Uh, that's right. I think I think this may actually be my third time now. I know once I was on previously talking about biking in Memphis. Right. I think with, jo- with John Paul. Um, oh, that's right. With John Paul Schaefer. Yeah. Uh, we miss him here. Um, yeah. I think it was another time talking about pedestrian safety as well. Okay. Yeah, well, that's the topic today. And um, I would, I hope we, we respectively live long enough that pedestrian safety will be a, a nothing burger, as they say. I mean, never, pedestrian deaths are never going to go away completely. But um, we're, we're in a crisis situation in Memphis and, and in other cities. And uh, so, so we're revi- we're going to revisit that subject today, and um, we got to. I think Nick, we decided we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive and talk about some things that don't really get. Uh, there's been you know pretty extensive media coverage of the numbers, but there's just not always the opportunity to really get in, get into the weeds. And you know, Memphis Metropolis, we like to get into the weeds, so this is a perfect time. So, so Nick, um, just. I guess before we get into some of the weeds, just sort of recap the, you know, there's some new numbers out about pedestrian deaths and, you know, increases from previous years, just sort of, um, I don't want to say rattle those off because it sounds very superficial, but just lay those out for us as sort of um, a background for what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think that's a good place to start to kind of ground us on, on why this is important. Um, you said crisis earlier. That's the word you use, and I fully agree with using that word. We are in the midst of a traffic violence crisis in this city that for years, frankly, has not received the attention that it deserves. I, I'm i a little optimistic. I feel like recently um, – there has been increasing media coverage around this. There's been some great articles in the Commercial Appeal, Dan Memphian, just within the last month or so, covering traffic safety, particularly pedestrian safety. Um, so I'm optimistic that it is getting a little more tension. Um, but to give the, the kind of high-level background, so you go back 10 years ago, the early 2010s, Memphis was averaging about um, you know somewhere in the mid-teens 
in terms of the number of pedestrian fatalities every year, which let's just say right in the front end, you know, one death is more than is too much, right? Right. Anything over zero is too much. Um, we recognize that, but relatively speaking, when you're, you know, 10 years ago, we were in the mid teens, it was relatively low. And then starting around 2014, 2015, the numbers really started going up. Um, by, by 2015, they were generally in the thirties, you know, about around 30 people, 30 something people dying, um, over a whole course of a year while they were walking in Memphis and it kept going up. And there was a period from about 2015 to, um, 2022, um, where basically almost every year we were breaking the previous record for the number of people who had been killed while walking in Memphis, um, that uh, so I think like 2019, maybe I think there was 42 pedestrians. Again, that was the record at the time. 2020 came, shattered that. It was 64. Um, we saw a phenomenal increase in crashes in general um, in 2020, 2021. A lot of that related to just different traffic conditions during the pandemic and this kind of moral holiday I think people were having where they just felt okay speeding and ignoring basic traffic laws. Um, and then, so 64 was the was the new record. Um, six, 2021 was slightly under that, but still high. I think it was 60, 61. But I'm really sad to say that here we are near the end of 2022, and we've already broken that previous record. Uh, we broke it actually um, as far back as October. Um, as of the, today, when we are taping this, it's... Um, uh, December fifteenth, when we're taping this, um, as of as of this morning, there have been seventy nine pedestrians killed in the city. Um, we still have about two weeks to go before the year's over. So at this point, you know, I'm I'm, I'm fully expecting this to be over eighty, unfortunately. Um, so it is tragic, um, and I also want to be clear that you know it's not just pedestrians. We're talking about a rise in in deaths and serious injuries for really everyone who's using our roads since 2015 over 1,000 people have died on the streets of memphis as a result of a traffic crash wow so um you know one of the things we're going to get into um you know in depth in a few minutes is you know street design um and how that contributes but um but streets have been streets have been poorly designed or or designed for the benefit of vehicles for a long time. That just didn't start in you know 2010. There wasn't some big change. So I guess I'm wondering, and if I'm getting ahead of us, tell you can let me know. But 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 since not that much changed in that decade, um, what changed did? Did be driving behavior change? I mean, setting aside COVID where people were going crazy and that's still carrying over to today. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know why the, do you understand the question? I'm yeah, I do. Yeah. People. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. So you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's not as if our streets have changed any drastic way in just the last three years. So what's accounting for the significant increase we've seen in just the last two or three years, even, um, you know, never mind the last decade. Um, so a couple ways I'd like to answer this. Number one, I, I always go back to design. I think design is still the underlying fundamental um, issue. Um, and we can get back to that. Um, 
because design influences behavior. Right. But again, our streets haven't changed drastically in the last few years. So what's going on? Um, a couple of things. Uh, one, I think, you know, you're saying it's not just COVID, the pandemic, but I really do think that there's a strong connection there where um, people felt comfortable speeding, ignoring basic traffic laws um, because there was less traffic on the streets because police officers were, you know, really busy trying to handle other things, short staffed, like many offices were during the start of the pandemic. And I think people realize, some people realize that there was much more they could get away with on our streets um, than, than they thought without any consequence. And they've continued those, that they've continued that behavior. Um, so I think now there is just kind of a, a wider acceptance of, doing things that maybe previously would have been deemed, you know, a little more uh, reckless or just, just intolerable, like speeding. Um, okay. Another thing, another factor is our vehicles are changing. Um, you go back 10 years, look over the course of 10 years, the size of our vehicles, of, uh, you know, personal automobiles. Oh, has yeah. Grown. That's, I didn't even think of that. Everyone's driving these giant... <laughs> These souped up, lifted. I always, um, I always call it the, the the Ford excessive or something. Yes, <laughs> right, right, right. Yes. So the vehicles are becoming larger, which means yes. heavier. So when a crash occurs, the 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 impact is is greater, there's more force because it's a there's more mass involved. Um, the front profiles and, of our vehicles. And they're probably hitting people higher up in their bodies. Exactly, too. exactly. It's that front profile, right? So. You think about your older like sedans from 20 years ago, they hit a, an adult pedestrian. Probably the pedestrian's going to kind of like fall over onto the hood of the car. These large trucks, you know, they might hit an adult square in the head or their shoulders. Yeah. It, so, yeah. So that's part of it as right. well. Okay. So, um, of course, I'm 100% pro pedestrian, and um, that's my preferred. I do drive, but that's my preferred method to get around. And, um, and I've always felt like there was, you know, when you see articles in the paper about these kind of results, you know, you look, you're covering your eyes, but looking at the comments and, um, just a lot of, um, you know, blaming, um, uh, pedestrian deaths on pedestrians. And I didn't realize until you and I were talking before this interview that there's a name for that and it's called windshield bias. So talk about windshield bias and how it, um, what is it? And then how can we, um, you know, counter it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Windshield bias is is a term that I like to use. Um, Essentially, it is um, blaming pedestrians for, for crashes that they're involved in because of their own quote unquote laziness, recklessness, um, stupidity, (laughs) um, or, you know, their own, you know, illegal behavior. Um, And it comes from, I generally see it in people who experience our streets primarily from behind the windshield of a car. Um, You know, let's face it, most Memphians do not walk for transportation. Um, They are in their car most of the time. They might occasionally go downtown for a Grizzlies game or something like that, and they walk on the streets of downtown, which um, admittedly downtown is 
you know, the most walkable environment in the city. There's still improvements to be done there, but relatively speaking, you know, it's the best area to walk. Um, and so when people don't walk on a day-to-day basis as part of their lived experience, it's a perspective that they don't understand. And so it's easy to be dismissive of people who are walking day to day and be dismissive of their actions and jump to these kinds of conclusions that, oh, well, they're doing this just because they're lazy. They're crossing there in the middle of the street because they're lazy or they're just not using their head. But if we actually put ourselves in the shoes of uh, these individuals and try experiencing our city from that perspective, I think we come to find that actually a lot of the decisions that may seem to be, again, quote unquote, lazy or dumb are rational. And in many cases are even the safer um, alternative um, than what we may think it is. Um, so that's part of it. And it's also, I think, just a lot of misunderstanding what the law actually says about, you know, crosswalks and pedestrian right of way. Um, yeah, let's that, talk, that drivers... talk about that because yeah. I've always understood that the pedestrian has the right of way, and um, and I mean you wouldn't believe that by and of course <laughs> you, you know that's you can't take that to the bank. Let me just say that <laughs> in the city, right? You, know, <laughs> you can you, you get your your you know you're laying in your coffin waving your hand saying I had the right of way. But 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 that's true, isn't it? Like, what does the law say about that and other things as it relates to pedestrians? That's right. That's right. Um, you've you've always believed that because you're right. That is actually the law, even though we don't really see that. Um, so I think to really to understand a little bit about why, like, what the law actually says, I think we need to go back in time um, because basically, so so. I guess to lay it out real quick. So yes, you know, when a pedestrian is in a crosswalk, the pedestrian has the right of way. Drivers are meant to stop for them. Um, despite what people think, there actually is no, you know, quote unquote, jaywalking law on the books. Pedestrians have the right to cross just about anywhere on the street. Now, there is some nuance there that we can get into. But I think to help understand like where this is all coming from, because that's something that we hear a lot, again, looking at those newspaper comments and articles about jaywalking, you know, where that person was jaywalking. So, you know, they shouldn't have been doing that. Um, you know, they got what they deserved almost. That's what Basically, yes. Yeah. Um, it's implied. Right, it's implied. So let's, let's explore what the origin of jaywalking is. So jaywalking is actually originally an insulting term. Um, you go back to the early 20th century um, where this concept of jaywalking started. Um Prior to then, for the entire history of you know civilization, streets were this shared space. Um, there were places where people would, you know, do commerce, set up stalls in the street. Kids would play in the street. It was normal for pedestrians just to mill around, walk around the street, really anywhere. And and other than them, and maybe people on horseback or carriages, you know, they're all you know sharing that same space. But it was primarily pedestrians. Not until the late 1800s did we start to see that change with the arrival of streetcars. So now that w- they were introduced to streets, but again, they were still sharing that space with pedestrians. And then early 20th century automobiles started arriving on the scene. The car industry, car manufacturers realized pretty early on that crowded urban streets, you know, crowded with pedestrians were a detriment to the advantages of cars, right? So if streets are filled with pedestrians and cars can't pick up speed, 
then that kind of, you know, the main advantage of a car, you know, getting places quickly is loss. So they realized that if they couldn't um, clear the way in streets for cars, uh, the, the marketability of their product um, was, you know, damaged. So they actually undertook this massive marketing campaign. It was uh, one of the first such kind of national mass marketing campaigns like this that, you know, an in- industry had taken. Um, and uh, it was all around really stigmatizing walking in the street. And one of the ways they did this was creating this term jaywalking. It, it had never existed previously. Uh, so a, a jay um, was like Midwestern slang for um, kind of uh, a, an uneducated person from the countryside. Maybe today what we would say is, you know, a, rip. a Yahoo. Yeah, something, okay. <laughs> a hick, a, yeah, hillbilly or something. Um, it, it was not a nice term. And so this idea with jaywalking was uh, a jaywalker is somebody who comes in from the countryside um, who was so uh, amazed by what they're seeing in the city that they're not paying attention and they're just walking in the street and they get hit by a car because they're not paying attention. So it was this idea of really stigmatizing walking in the streets. And there was related to this campaign, there were pushes for laws to be passed Um so that pedestrians were kind of guided towards these dedicated crossing areas, crosswalks, and staying on sidewalks. Um, it, it's really a fascinating topic for anybody who's you know wants to hear more. I'd highly recommend uh, the book "Fighting Traffic" by Peter Norton. Um, he goes into much more detail um, than we are here. But to cut to the end, they they won. They were successful. These marketing campaigns won. Um, it got laws passed. And that's where this concept of jaywalking starts. And and I think it's important to start here, just kind of talk about this, um, because this, this is why I don't like using the term jaywalking, um, because again, it is kind of this pejorative term that, uh, at least originally, is, is insulting. Um, but many of our laws that are on the books today come from this era. Um, so if you look at like so, what the law, so let me, yeah. let me interrupt for a second. So I guess I, um, so, you know, I think of jaywalking as essentially, you know, walking against the light, um, you know, walking when you don't, when, you know, you're at an intersection and you don't have the walk light or walking in between intersections, which of course is in Memphis is a huge problem. Even in the built up parts of the city, we've got very, very long blocks and doesn't really even that's it's just not always practical, um, you know, to walk a quarter mile to a traffic signal. And so so walking. So that's I guess the, what, the kinds of jaywalking you see here. Am I just to kind of we probably don't need to define the term, but am I thinking right about that? I think that's the general um, conception, right, that basically anyone who is walking out, who's crossing a street outside of a crosswalk is jaywalking. I think that's the general right. conception of what jaywalking okay. is. Although yeah. we know you don't like, you don't like the term. I, I get that. <laughs> sure. Sure. But I'm just thinking about the behavior that people call jaywalking. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, or maybe even it's, you know, crossing at, at a cross, a walk at an intersection, but without the signal, um, you know, the right. crossing on the don't walk face, something like that. But I think generally that's what people think of as, as jaywalking, but the law that's on the books, um, Again, there, there is no law that mentions jaywalking. 
the closest thing though we have is there is um there uh, there is law around crossing at other than crosswalks so i actually i have it here in front of me I'll, and i'll read it to you it's, it's not it's not very long um so listen carefully so this is in the, the city um city code between adjacent intersections at which traffic control signals all are in operation, pedestrians shall not cross at any place except in a marked crosswalk. Now, when people hear that, they might think, aha, there it is. You know, it's saying they have to cross in the crosswalk. But the key words there are adjacent intersections at which traffic control signals are in operation. It's a little tricky uh, to maybe explain, I, I try to think of like a visual to help your listeners um, to get this. Uh, so I had this idea, if you're able to do this, hopefully, you know, if you're driving, don't do this, but um, if you're somewhere safe, uh, make a fist with your hand and look down at um, the knuckles on your hand. So you see your four kind of main knuckles at the top of the fist there. That row of your knuckles, let's imagine that's the street and each knuckle, each of those four knuckles, that's an intersection, right? So let's say you take the knuckle of your your uh, index finger and the knuckle of your middle finger. Those two are adjacent, right? Is that fair to say? So let's say that both of those are the intersections. Those are signalized intersections. The law means that that little gap between those two knuckles, a pedestrian cannot cross. It must use the crosswalks at those two adjacent signalized intersections. But now let's say the only signalized intersections on this little street on your hand are the ones at the uh, knuckle for your index finger and the knuckle for your pinky finger. In between them are two other intersections. That means that between those, the uh, your, your index knuckle and your pinky knuckle, between those intersections, a pedestrian is able to cross anywhere. Now think about the streets of Memphis. There are very few places where the density of signalized intersections is that great. Really, once you get outside of downtown, it's rare that you're going to encounter two adjacent signalized intersections without any other intersection between them. It, it's Does that make sense? True. <laughs> I mean, it is yeah. making sense. And so, so, so what you're saying is, I think is that um, if people are crossing the street um, at an intersection, at a non-signalized intersection that's not adjacent to a signalized intersection, in other words, there's quite a distance, which hasn't been defined, I guess, but that person is not that, let, let's just say like at, I live near Poplar and McLean and the nearest signal is Evergreen. That's quite a distance and but there's a number of streets in there that are intersections. And I think what you're saying is if I cross the street in between McLean, McLean and Evergreen, that's probably half a mile or close to it, maybe a third of a mile. Um, if I cross in between at an intersection, I'm not breaking the law. That's right. That's right. You can cross okay. the street anywhere. And that example you just gave between McLean and Evergreen, you could cross the street really anywhere. Um, between those intersections because they are not adjacent and they're they're broken that stretch is broken up by a number of other unsignalized intersections now there's a 
there's a, there's a part of that definition though that I think we need to dive in a little farther. Um, the second half was pedestrians shall not cross in any place except in a marked crosswalk. That is, you know, if if they're at adjacent intersections. Well, let's talk about what you know crosswalk actually is and how you define a crosswalk because this is also something that's I think misunderstood. Um, to understand what a what a uh, uh, what a crosswalk is, though, we kind of have to first define what a what a sidewalk is. It kind of is connected. So the the le- a sidewalk actually is not like we th- we can th- the common conception of a sidewalk is, is this paved path, you know, behind the curb of a street. That's not the legal definition. So here's the legal definition: the city of Memphis. Sidewalk means that portion of a street between the curb lines or the lateral lines of a roadway and the adjacent property lines intended for use of pedestrians. So it doesn't have to be paved. Correct. There's nothing in the definition about a paved path. Basically, um, a legal sidewalk is just the space of the roadway that's behind the edge of pavement or behind the curb all the way back to the edge of the right-of-way line. So even if it's just a grass strip, that is still technically a sidewalk. So okay, I, that I did. That, that's news to me. I feel like that's a little confusing, but <laughs> right, anyway, yeah, it's, it's it's legal stuff, right? I didn't say it was going to be straightforward, <laughs> um, but let's, let's bear that in mind for a second because that's important to understand for crosswalks. So just bear in mind that a sidewalk doesn't have to be a paved path; it can also just be the dirt path on the side of the roadway. So here's crosswalk. Definition of a crosswalk. Crosswalk means that part of a roadway at an intersection included within the connections of the lateral lines of the sidewalks on opposite sides of the street measured from the curbs or in absence of curbs measured from the edges of traversable roadway. Such term shall also include any portion of the roadway at an intersection or elsewhere distinctly indicated for pedestrian crossing lines or other bike by crossing lines or other markings on the surface. Now, I know that was a little long. So, yeah, you're going to explain put, that, right? You'll put that in plain <laughs> language true, for me. Yes. <laughs> so, know, what does yeah, it keep say? In mind, most of us are not engineers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a city planner by background. So, right, I yeah, know. Let's break this down because you're okay. right. That can be a little confusing. But here's what this is saying this is saying at every intersection in the city, there are crosswalks. Whether that crosswalk is marked with with paint on the ground or not, at every intersection, there is a legal crosswalk at every leg of the intersection. A lot of people don't know that. So that means, for example, when you're pulling up to an intersection, even if there are no markings on the ground, there's a legal crosswalk and drivers have the obligation to stop for pedestrians who are crossing in that space. Okay. That's, that is, um, yeah, I didn't, I did not know that. And, um, I mean, I, you know, good drivers will stop because it's common sense, uh, and they're considerate, but I think you're right. People don't, um, don't think of those as crosswalks because there's not, there's not, they're not painted. Right. All right. That's good information. So it sounds like, um, these factors together, um, really contribute to um, people blaming the victims and um, for, and when reality, most of the time, 
the the pedestrians are acting legally. I mean, probably sometimes not necessarily rationally, but they're acting legally. Yes, that's that's the um, I think the conclusion we can reach here is that a lot of times when people are saying that a pedestrian is jaywalking or is you know crossing the street illegally, that actually the law is on the pedestrian side. Okay. Now I should add a caveat that um, so while a I, I'm not going to read any more of the legalese here, but <laughs> while a uh, while a pedestrian can cross basically anywhere on the roadway, um, you know, as long as it's not between two adjacent signalized intersections, um, if if he or she is using um, are not using a crosswalk, whether that's marked or unmarked. If they're just crossing somewhere in the middle of the block, the law does say that they still need to yield to drivers at that location. Now it can okay. get a little tricky to define, you know, what that is. There's some room for interpretation there. Well, and also people angle. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, they cross right. diagonally. And um, so, okay. So technically speaking, if they're not crossing at an intersection, um, they don't have the right away. It sounds like. Okay. Yeah, they can they can cross anywhere, but they still have to safely yield to drivers. Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, street design and how it contribute. We talked about it a little bit at the at the show about how street design um, contributes to contributes to, you know, pedestrian deaths. And I want to say, Nick, before you, and I I meant to say at the top of the show, one of the reasons this, these new norms are very disheartening is that, and of course I'm, you know, my, I, I operate and go mainly in the loop, but you know, over the last couple of years, I've just seen a lot of new pedestrian improvements. Um, you know, traffic calming on streets and, you know, better crosswalks at places where people cross. I've seen, you know, a lot of that. And of course, the, and of course, the subsequent complaining about it on social media. Um, but, um, you know, I'm thinking about North McLean and Highland and a lot of other places. And which, of course, just gladdens my heart. And so I realized that Memphis is, you know, ginormous and spread out and I'm only seeing a a small amount of it, but um, I just, I don't know. I I just wanted to say that because it, um, like I said, I've just, I've seen a lot of positive developments and, um, and I realized you have a limited budget. We could talk about that later about the, the, you know, the, the proposal you have, the unfunded proposal you have to do this throughout the city. But um, but that's connected to street design because you're making improvements to the street design um, that um, contribute to safety. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for, for, for decades, like most American cities, streets in Memphis were designed um, really with just the car in mind, with the goal of moving as many cars as quickly as possible. Um, the result is that streets um, became more dangerous for anyone outside of a car. Um, again, you might not know that you might not really realize that if you only experience our streets from a car. Um, but once people actually get out there and start walking on many of our streets on a regular basis, they'll pick up on these things. 
Um, and it's because of these, these flaws in the design um, that, again, what we were saying earlier that, you know, pedestrians will choose to do things that may appear to be irrational or more dangerous, but actually are the better choices. So we can talk about what some of those, what is, some of those, uh, you know, kind of design details are that can lead to those choices. So let me just, before you tell that, I forgot to um, do my station break because I got so engrossed with the discussion. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Nick Euler, who's the Bikeways and Pedestrian Program Manager in the Engineering Department of the City of Memphis. And we're talking about all the um, all the elements that contribute to uh, the lack of pedestrian safety in our community and some remedies that we hope will be implemented over time. So go on, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Emily. And again, really uh, happy to be here having the conversation. Um, so, right. So we're talking about windshield bias and and how, you know, if people don't really experience our streets from that perspective of walking, then there are things that they just don't understand, don't don't catch. Um, and design is influencing kind of the behaviors that we're seeing from people walking. So let's talk about some examples in the way that dangerous street design for walking can lead to some of these kinds of behaviors. The first one is probably one that um, is fairly straightforward. People can get right off the bat. It's the fact that um, in many parts of the city, protected crossings are infrequent. Um, you get out to newer sections of the city, especially, um, you know, Whitehaven, Hickory Hill, Cordova, um, but even some places, you know, within the loop, protected crossings with a traffic signal may be spaced out, you know, a quarter of a mile. Um, and in between those intersections, there's a no other safe crossing. So for a pedestrian who's just trying to cross the street, you know, somewhere in between those safe crossings, they might realistically be looking at adding a, you know, half mile detour to their route just to get to the nearest protected crosswalk. Human beings are rational actors. I think most people are going to choose the shortest path. Almost anyone I think would would do that, right? And so how do we solve that? We do more frequent protected crosswalks. You look at cities like Portland, Oregon, they actually have... Um, policy on the books that they must provide a protected crosswalk every, um, I forget the exact number, but maybe like every thousand feet or so along the roadways. Mm -hmm. So again, like if you don't have very frequent crossings, you're probably going to see people crossing outside of a crossing because they don't want to go a half mile detour out of their way. So that one's kind of straightforward, but here's some others that maybe are a little more um, nuanced that you, uh, Think about big intersections in Memphis. What we often see at the corner is a very wide sweeping corner, what we would call like a radius. The corner radius is very wide. The idea here is that that wider radius allows for um, right turning vehicles to take that turn without having to slow down as much. It allows larger vehicles like, uh, you know, delivery trucks or even 18 wheelers to take those kinds of turns without having so to, yeah. So it's not a tight turn. Another exactly. Word. It's not a okay. tight turn. So not, if, a right, again, not a right angle. 
Correct. Yeah, it's not 90 degrees. Yeah. Now, when you're in older parts of town, like downtown, you generally will see some kind of tighter corners there, tighter radii. Um, but outside of that, they get pretty wide. And again, the, the reason for that is primarily to help cars make those or, you know, vehicles make those turns. But the the downside is that exactly because vehicles aren't slowing down, they don't, they don't have to slow down as much to make that turn. Drivers can make those right-handed turns without coming to a full stop at the crosswalk and verifying that there's not a pedestrian using that crosswalk. Um, because they don't have to slow down as much, they don't have to come to a full stop as much. As they're making that right-handed turn, what do they tend to do? They tend to just kind of look to the left to make sure that there's no oncoming traffic and they can continue. Again, not looking at the crosswalk that's that's there. The other thing is really wide uh, radii, really wide corners do, is it increases the crossing distance for a pedestrian. Kind of you've, you've pulled the curbs farther apart. So if a pedestrian wants to cross at that location, you're asking them to cross somewhere where they're going to be vulnerable in the roadway for a longer time because it's a longer crossing distance. Plus they're looking to see if someone's going right on red. And right. also, you know, even if they have the light, someone might be turning onto their street and exactly. looking to just just mow them over. Exactly. And that, yeah, you've kind of touched on another point there. Oftentimes we see the crosswalks placed in the middle of this corner, almost like from the midpoint of the corner to the midpoint of the other corner. It's kind of the most dangerous place, honestly, because like, just like you said, you're much more vulnerable having to like, as you start crossing, you're having to look over your shoulder, just to make sure no one's turning right into your path. You're having to check for left turning vehicles. There's a lot of conflicting movements that can be happening at that location. So what's the result of this? The result is that, uh, in many cases, it might actually be safer or even or at least feel safer to not cross at that crosswalk right there at the corner, but to cross maybe 10, 20 feet back from that um, crossing, kind of away from the intersection. To someone who's not walking, someone who's look, just watching, observing this from their car, they might see that and think, oh, look, here's this person. They can't even, they can't even walk an extra 20 feet to get to that crosswalk. What are they doing? But they're actually just making a choice that is it's safer. safer. Well, can in areas that you have, and maybe you were going to talk about this, but in areas that have, you know, um, significant pedestrian activity, why can't there be like no right on red and no left on red? Yeah. For a period of yeah. time while the yeah. walk sign is on. Um, it seems that it would be, that would be logical. You're, you're absolutely right. And and that is the good news here. Is the, so what we've just explained, this is kind of like what we have today. It's the product of the way we've been building our streets for a while. But the good news is there are ways to improve it. Um, number one is just um, you can retrofit those corners to make them tighter um, so they're not as wide. Uh, number two, um, like you're saying, we can look at doing uh, no right on rid. Um, you just ban, you know, the ability for drivers to take that right-handed turn. Um, that's something, you know, we had that in some places in, in downtown. Um, we assess that on kind of a case-by-case -case basis. Um, well, it's at, it's, it's at East Parkway, you know, by the mm -hmm. Overton Park gate and people blow through it all the time. And it's right. very prom, it's a very prominent sign, um, so I'm looking for some traffic enforcement over there sometime. 
Absolutely. Giving people that's, the big tickets. Right. That, that's key, right? I mean, we can say that, you know, the law says no right on rid at this intersection, but if it's not enforced, then, you know, it's basically just a suggestion. Um, so that's, you know, and <laughs> it is interesting. You're starting to see this movement in America to ban right on rid citywide in, in cities. Washington, D.C. Um, just just passed this. Um, another city I'm, I'm blanking on passed it as well. And that's actually, that was the standard prior to the uh, oil crisis of the 70s. The um, It was standard to have no right turn on RID. Um, the only reason we changed that in this country um, is the idea that if we could keep uh, right turning cars more free flowing, they wouldn't slow down. They wouldn't be idling their engines as much. They wouldn't be wasting as much gas. <laughs> so that's where the even the the reason we have we allow a right turn on rid. Um, that's where it comes from. You look at most industrialized nations. Look over at Europe. Uh, right turn on rid is still um, universally illegal. You can't make a right turn on rid light. Well, I'm in favor of that. And like I said, and, and also maybe left, you know, no left turn on red in some situations. That's, that's, I find that to be scarier um, mm-hmm. when I walk is that people just um, don't even look to see, but that's a great segue. Cause I wanted to also, I think we wanted to talk about driver behavior. Yeah. Um, I will say and, real quick um, that I think the, the solution to what you're getting at, that left turn, we can do something called a, a leading pedestrian interval, which basically gives um, pedestrians a head start, uh, maybe you know only five or seven seconds, but they get that they get the walk signal before the left turning drivers get the green arrow, so it kind of gets them a head start into the intersection and to cross. So that's one way that we can um, address that. Well, that that deals with situations where there's an arrow and, um, you know, I walk around my immediate neighborhood where it's it, the, the, some of the streets don't have arrows. And so I get the walk sign and someone gets the green light and there's no one else coming in the other direction. They're just turning and um, without regard for us. Sure. Well, in, I mean, it, it could work. In, the, so I, so I, yeah. The theory kind of, you know, the way so we it, do it applies for just a, a green it'd signal. It would be a delay. It would be a, de- yes, it'd be a delay, a short delay. Um, and um, anyway, so I'm, I'm not giving you any ideas you haven't already thought of, but that's something that would, <laughs> would help me personally. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And that's something we can assess, be- you know, intersections as well. If somebody submit a request, reach out and say, hey, can you do this at my intersection? And we'll look at it. Right. Okay. So driver behavior. It's right. terrible. <laughs> it is that's terrible. That's my that's my non-scientific observation. <laughs> right. Scientific but accurate, I would say. Um, it is terrible, but driver behavior also influences pedestrian behavior. So, you know, you get you get these people, you know, the, the writers of the comments on the articles who want to blame pedestrians for, you know, their actions for not using crosswalks, that sort of thing. Well, your actions as a driver may be influencing that. So, for example, in Memphis, notoriously, Memphis drivers do not stop for pedestrians and crosswalks, despite what the law says. Um, that that means, you know, at mid-block locations, generally, drivers won't stop. It, but it could also mean at intersections, kind of like what we've just been talking about. If totally. At intersection, those turning drivers may not stop. In fact, Emily... 
I'm not making this up. It happened to me just yesterday. I was walking into City Hall. I was crossing Front Street at an intersection. I was using the crosswalk. I had the walk signal. I had the right-of-way, the legal right-of-way. These two drivers that were making a left-hand turn, they were one right behind the other, um, they started turning. Now, because of the line of work I'm in, I'm extremely cautious whenever I am walking along the street. Me? I've learned to be. I'm very cautious. Right. And so I was watching them. Had it not been for that, had I been looking elsewhere, had I just been assuming that I was safe because I'm in the crosswalk, they would have hit me. I had to stop short um, and let the first driver pass. The first driver never made eye contact with me. The second driver, we finally met eyes right when he was passing right in front of me in, in his truck. And he had for this fleeting instant, this look of surprise on his face, like, oh, what are you doing there? What, where'd you come from? Um that happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, supposedly, and you're supposed to be just boldly going to the intersection and show them who's boss. And like, I can't do that. Right. I, like right. <laughs> cautiously inch out and make sure they see me before. Yeah. It's yeah. Nuts. So, so we know, you know, anecdotally, I, I don't have data on for, I mean, we can probably do something good today, but anecdotally, we know that generally Memphis drivers do not stop. I've heard the stories of people who've moved here from, you know, West coast, East coast, and are just like, what's up with that? Like drivers don't stop at crosswalks. So let's think about this. If, if you are somebody who walks day to day, um, as you know, one of your main modes of transportation, you're going to the bus stop, you're walking, whatever. And you know that it is normal. Memphis drivers will not stop at a crosswalk. If you know this from your lived experience, that that marked crosswalk doesn't always provide any benefits, then why use it? What's, what's the advantage of, of using it? Um, so again, I guess not as always as simple, easier to say, well, why wasn't he using the crosswalk? Like, well, maybe they know from their lived experience that that crosswalk doesn't actually provide any benefit. And this is where we need enforcement on crosswalks. Like we, I mean, sorry to cut you off there, but I just think we need to enforce the law around driver's obligation to stop at crosswalks. Well, and talk a little bit briefly about speeding, because you alluded to the fact that that's gotten worse during COVID, but it seems like there's always been a lot of speeding in Memphis, and that has got to contribute to this problem. Absolutely. Um, speeding is the greatest determinant of um, the severity of a crash. Really, there are, there are two main things to think about in the force of an impact. It's mass and it's speed. Um, it's, and, and, uh, if you can think back to high school physics, you know, uh, force is, is mass times velocity squared. So speed is the greater, you know, determinant than, than mass. Um, so even just like, you know, a five mile per hour difference for a pedestrian, that difference can be the difference of life or death in some cases. Um, there's been a number of studies, um, they all kind of generally say the same thing, but you know, if a pedestrian is struck by a vehicle moving at 30 miles per hour, they probably have about a, you know, a 50% chance of surviving that crash. But if the speed of that vehicle is instead 40 miles per hour, the chance of survival drops significantly to only around, you know, 20% or so. So speed is, is critical. And I think that's why in the last couple of years, we've seen a significant increase because people are speeding so much more frequently, so much more egregiously, 
that when a crash occurs now, because of that higher speed, the result is much more severe. A person dies instead of maybe what, you know, three, if the crash happened four years ago, would have just been an injury. Um, so that's where speed is important. So, um, so in the few minutes we have left, so, so what can we do as a community to remedy the situations? I mean, I guess both what's, what's the Holy grail, if you could do everything, but well, what's realistic within, you know, resource and time constraints, uh, the, you know, what do you think about as things you want to do now to help um, address this problem? So many facets. It's really, <laughs> right. it's really complicated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, the overarching takeaway that I would like people to have from this conversation um, uh, and just listening just now is, is an understanding of what windshield bias is and maybe to be able to check themselves when they hear these stories about a person being killed while walking or injured um, and, and don't be so quick to jump to the, the judgment that, well, you know, they got, you know, what happened to them happened because of something, you know, they did wrong of their laziness, their stupidity, what, whatever it is uh, and try to understand things from that person's perspective and experience. And the reason that this is so important is it, if we allow windshield bias to dominate the discourse on this on this topic of pedestrian safety, if we allow windshield bias to shape public policy, then we will lose sight of what the actual problems are as well as the actual solutions. So you're asking, like, what can be done? Well, two things in the short term, you know, uh, relatively short term and, and simple would be. Number one, um, part of the problem is drivers don't know um, what the relevant traffic laws are. So we need education. We need awareness campaigns to make sure people understand those issues. And that's something that we're, we're about to do starting in uh, early next year. Um, we will be launching the city's first education and safety campaign um, for walking primarily, but also biking. Um, but it will be targeting drivers. Um, for their role that, that they play in all of this. So that's one thing. Number two, um, we have drivers who are dangerously operating their vehicles with impunity, or at least so it seems in many cases. So another kind of low-hanging fruit would be more enforcement of basic traffic laws, but especially crosswalk enforcement. But then three, and again, I'm always going to go back to design because I think that is what's kind of the underlying issue here. And this is not a short-term solution, but long-term, we have to fix our streets. We have to design streets that work for all of us, no matter how we're getting around, if we're walking in a car, biking, you know, what have you. So we have to um, design streets that work for everyone and that prioritize the safety of our most vulnerable users, people on foot. Um, and when we have streets that are better designed, then they can be self-enforcing and they help slow everybody down and just create a safer space. So how can going going to the, I mean, I know the first, sounds like the, the awareness campaign is happening. Um, the third thing, which I totally agree with, you know, changing the streets, we know that's expensive. 
Um, you know, people have no, I, I only know a little bit about dish, but people have no idea how expensive, um, different changes to, for a variety of reasons, changes in street design and implementing, um, you know, new infrastructure in some places. So, so that's a big price tag. I think you're just, you're chipping away at it with the resources you have access to, it sounds like. Um, but talking about the enforcement, like how can we get more enforcement? It doesn't, it's not very sexy. And of course, I think in our community right now, most people think like every officer out there should be working on, you know, violent crime and nothing else. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, mm-hmm. but that's people's top priority. Sure. But, um, but having said that, I mean, you never, I've never seen any enforcement. I've seen people being pulled over for speeding, but I've never seen any enforcement of other kinds of traffic violations, really. How can we get, I mean, that's, you don't have any authority over that. How can we in the community, you know, push for that? Well, I, I think just like how you, how you just worded it is pushing for it. Um, I think residents, citizens need to um, advocate with their elected leaders that, you know, this issue is important enough that we need MPD, we need other law enforcement agencies to um, take action on it. Um, look, I, I can't speak for MPD. Um, I think personally, I think this is an area of enforcement that has been lacking. I'd like to see more of it. Um, I'm not aware of any, you know, past enforcement campaigns around crosswalks, for example. Um, I'm not aware of you know, any current plans to, to implement that. I, I hope, you know, maybe they're thinking about that. Um, but again, I, I think it's, this is a public safety issue. We have to treat it like that. And that means almost like an all hands on deck effort. It can't just be, you know, me in the engineering office. Uh, we need our partners uh, through law enforcement doing something there as well. Um, and again, I, I just, yeah, say, I, would, like, I, I think there needs to be a focus on, on drivers, um, whether it's crosswalk enforcement or just cracking down on, on speeding, um, even simple things like, uh, you know, stopping, if you're stopping at a red light, stopping in advance of the crosswalk, you know, you're, you're supposed to stop in advance of the crosswalk and not stop your car on top of the crosswalk. You know, even little things like that can all lead to this um, bigger issue of uh, just hostile environment for uh, people walking. Well, and I feel like there could some of that could be, um, you know, setting an example, like the example we talked about earlier about East Parkway and Sam Cooper with the the right on red that people ignore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like, you know, the police have to be out there all the time. I think they could go out there a couple of times a year, write a bunch of tickets. People will hear about it mm-hmm. and they'll, I mean, I don't think I think they could move around. It's not like some, someone had, I mean, you, you know, some things you like speeding on the expressway that you kind of got to do that all the time. Um, right. Yeah. And, but some of these things, I feel like if they could work with you to identify sort of, you know, 15 hotspots and go to all of them a couple of times a month, that people would, some people would change their behavior. Right. Right. Um, no, I, I agree. I think just that interaction can be kind of a intimidating experience, even if they just get off with a warning. Um, yeah. People are going to remember that and, and learn 
and and do better next time. Um, right. Okay. I'm going to send some emails <laughs> <laughs> to the police chief. Yeah. And also just on the topic of, you know, enforcement, um, you know, even our officers need, um, I think, education and training on what the law says around um, pedestrian right of way. Um, you know, I've seen cases where um, uh, the victim of a um, crash, a person who is walking across the street, um, will be cited for crossing outside of a crosswalk um, when, you know, in my opinion, it, that wasn't the case. It wasn't a, a valid citation. I've heard about that too. Okay. Well, we're out of time. There's a lot more to talk about, so you'll have to come back at some point, hopefully with some good news to report. So you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and on WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Nick Euler, who's the Bikeway and Pedestrian Program Manager in the Engineering Department of the City of Memphis. We've been talking about street design, pedestrian safety, driver behavior, all kinds of um, all kinds of topics that hopefully, if we work on all of them, we'll bring down the number of pedestrians. Emily, thank you so much for having me. It's It's been fun. Support for WYXR comes from Farmburger. Farmburger is your neighborhood grass-fed burger joint located in the East Atrium of Crosstown Concourse, offering custom grass-fed burgers, seasonal salads, and more. Farmburger takes pride in their grass-fed beef and partners with local farmers such as Home Place Pastures, Bonnie Blue Farm, and Marmaloo Farms. For more information, visit farmburger.com. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.